0: The Economist. In London, this is The Economist with Tasting Menu, a selection of the tastiest morsels from the stories in this week's edition. I'm Anne McElvoy, Senior Editor, and on the menu this week how to mix comedy and economics, why repetitive pop music is really a high art form, and some notes from a festival of beards. But first, the Chronicles of Debt was our cover line. As you might have guessed, this is no collection of soothing bedtime yarns. With the debt crisis reaching emerging markets, a new volume is starting to write itself, and it may not have a happy ending.
1: It is close to ten years since America's housing bubble burst, It is six since Greece's insolvency sparked the euro crisis. And the common ground? Was a rapid build-up of debt, followed by a bust.
0: It's building up all right.
1: Overall debt in emerging markets has risen from 150% of GDP in 2009 to 195%. Corporate debt has surged from less than 50% of GDP in 2008 to almost 75%. Now this boom too is coming to an end. Slower Chinese growth and weak commodity prices have darkened prospects even as a stronger dollar and the approach of higher American interest rates damn the flood of cheap capital. Next comes the reckoning.
0: And in our opinion, the near future isn't too bright. The
1: IMF has forecast higher growth in emerging markets next year. The lesson of past debt cycles suggests another year of slowdown is more likely.
0: Piercing through the global economic gloom, a ray of democratic hope in Myanmar this week. The country took a significant step forward, holding its first competitive general election since 1990, as an article in our Asia section reported from the city of Yangon, formerly known as Rangoon.
1: The excitement was palpable. In mid-morning, a line of voters trailing through a monastery's leafy grounds suddenly shifted to allow a frail elderly woman, carried up a flight of stairs by two young men, to cast her ballot. The voters stood through blazing sun and rainstorms, most of them, it appeared, to deliver a blow to the army, which has controlled the country for half a century.
0: The full results weren't in as The Economist went to press, but
1: one clear winner was emerging. The National League for Democracy, or NLD, an opposition party led by Aung San Suu Kyi, a long-time democracy activist, her supporters wasted no time in celebrating. On election night, revellers danced to top cars, waving inflatable red batons and singing party songs. Cha Ma, a 47-year-old public health teacher, said that in previous elections, you did not even tell your friends if you voted NLD.
0: Even in established democracies, it's not unknown for awkward voices to find themselves smothered and suppressed. Canada's scientists have even been barred from speaking to the press directly. Yet, as an article in our America section described, with a new government in charge, their opinions have been liberated.
2: Christy Miller picked up a ringing telephone on November 6th and spoke to a journalist. Until this month, she was not allowed to do that.
0: Seems strange, yet the previous Conservative government
2: under Stephen Harper demanded that scientists in its employ, like Ms Miller, get authorization to speak to the press. The first targets of the policy were researchers on climate change. It represented everything the Prime Minister's critics loathed about him.
0: But with a campaign pledge of real change now...
2: Justin Trudeau, his Liberal successor, scrapped it the day after he took office on November 4th. This is one of several swift changes intended to show that his Canada will be very different.
0: There is such a thing as too much information, however. Writing in our business section, our Schumpeter columnist turned his critical eye to brands gushing about authenticity to perk up their floundering figures. Heaven forfend.
2: Businesses have always told stories about their products, but in recent years they have become particularly verbose – bombarding consumers with any small detail that might enhance the brand. The examples spoke for themselves. Shoppers at Whole Foods can peruse scintillating biographies of the chickens they are about to casserole. Guzzlers of Blue Moon Beer can soak up its proud heritage, stretching back to, ooh, 1995, and read about its creator's brilliant idea of garnishing each glass of the ale with a slice of orange. And
0: the real reason for these babbling blurbs.
2: Authenticity is being peddled as a cure for consumers' ebbing loyalty to brands.
0: Unsurprisingly, in an age of instant online verification, the old marketing magic is fading.
2: The ease of accessing information makes consumers more likely to abandon their habitual brands because they have heard about something new. Depending on your perspective, people are either increasingly fickle or ever more impermeable to marketing bullshit.
0: Whatever the reasons, lack of trust in brands is taking its toll.
2: Of the top 100 consumer packaged goods brands in America, 90 lost market share in the year to July.
0: So brands are forced to conjure up authenticity out of thin air.
2: As the cynics among them might say, Authenticity is the secret of success. Once you can fake it, you've got it made.
0: Economics, once branded by Thomas Carlyle as the dismal science, isn't usually associated with humour. It would seem for economics jokes, both supply and demand are low. But an article in our finance section reported on a festival in Ireland trying to shift the equilibrium. When it started in 2010 as
1: Europe's first festival to combine economics and comedy, Ireland was in no mood for laughter. As 10-year Irish bond yields spiked to 9%, the festival organised its own mock rating agency, Moody and Poor.
0: Panellists did their best to put the fun back into fundamental welfare theorems.
1: A discussion of whether money makes you happy included the answer to how bankers sleep at night
0: on big piles of cash. Convinced you? Maybe not. A review in our Books and Arts section praised the efforts of a man trying to do something similar for pop music.
1: The Song Machine, a history of the past 20 years of pop music, takes for granted two assumptions, both convincingly demonstrated via a highly engaging narrative. And they are? The most basic is that modern earworm pop is a high art form, as worthy of appreciation as any other. He calls Kelly Clarkson's Since You've Been Gone magnificent, for example, and the Hook's catchy repeated snippets of melody in Rihanna's Umbrella are wonderful and lovely. Go, Rihanna! The second is that the public unfairly dismisses such masterpieces because its expectations of the creative process were set during the rock and roll era, when singer-songwriters were the norm.
0: It's a matter of historical context,
1: apparently. In fact, the 1960s and 1970s were a historical aberration and what may seem like a soulless new wave of industrial music production is a return to the hit factories of years gone by.
0: Hipster beards are certainly in the fashion charts now and we had some colourful reporting from a competition in Brooklyn, New York in our United States section this week with a box on
2: beards. Many were dressed in unusual garb. Your correspondent spotted a Viking several cowboys and a crusader, as well as a few ship's captains. The smell of styling beeswax hung heavy in the air.
0: And the assortment of categories matched the variation in styles, including...
2: The Amish, the Fu Manchu, the Musketeer, the Kaiser and the Garibaldi.
0: Clean shaven chins, our report concluded, are no longer mandatory in the workplace. And even the Economist office, I note, has had a bit of an outbreak of Pogonophilia too. I'm Anne McElvoy. That was our tasting menu. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist.